Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Shadow Eraser Poetry Hour. My name is Carla, and you can find me on shadow underscore scribing on Instagram. And I am joined tonight by my amazing co-host, Adam, who is on Instagram at no eraser underscore. And tonight we are joined by the amazing Jess Klein. And I will turn it over to my pal, Adam, to give the introduction. Adam, take it away. Jess Klein, also known as Phoenix Poetry 11 on Instagram, uh, is the author of the amazing book that we're going to cover today, Want and Wildfire. Now, typically I do my own introductions, but Jess was kind enough to do an about the author in the back of the book, which I'll recite for us now. Jess is a writer from Florida. She enjoys reading everything from Shakespeare to modern poetry to nonfiction, especially about science and theoretical physics. She is a registered nurse and a mother of two young girls. You can find her writing at 4 a.m. with a huge cup of coffee and her cat close by. Jess, so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you guys so much. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I've wanted to get you on the, uh, the show for a hot minute now, and the stars, as they say, have finally aligned. Um, you published Want Wildfire about what, a year and a half ago, you said? Um, yes, October uh, 2021. So it's been just over a year now. Now, is being a post author kind of a goal from the get go? Is that something that you wanted to do from a young age? Or did that kind of manifest itself as you got older? I always, it was always a goal. I always wanted to be an author. I've been writing, you know, since I was probably seven, eight years old. So I always wanted to be published. And um, yeah, this was a huge dream of mine. So uh, publishing this year was an amazing, you know, dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. And damn, way to knock it out of the park. And this is your first book, correct? Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'm super excited to see what you have coming for us next. Uh, before we get into your pieces, do you have anything in plans? Any new I mean, I'm always writing. Um, I'm always writing. I, you know, I'd write it on Instagram. It's been a little bit slower lately. Life has gotten kind of busy. So um, I, but I still am posting as much as I can on Instagram. Um, this book covered a lot of dark topics. So I'm hoping my next one will hopefully be a little more positive, but um, writing's always been very therapeutic for me. Um, you know, writing has always been therapy. So um, I'm hoping my next book I can write, you know, um, about what's been going on in my life recently. So hopefully in the next year, I'll have some new material that I can, that I can put out. I'm, I'm hoping to. Mm. Well, super excited to hear that. I, I do think it's kind of interesting that you made the comment that a lot of the, uh, the topics in the book are kind of on the darker side. You're in good company there. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I'm curious how much of that kind of ties into your role as a healthcare provider. Uh, I've never been a nurse myself, uh, but I've worked in the hospital industry for a very long time uh, as a security officer, primarily like in the ER or the locked psychiatric wing. And I also did EMT work for a while. And I know seeing life, uh, the unedited version, the non-Hallmark card version, uh, changes a person deeply. Would you say that that experience as a healthcare provider shaped you as a writer? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that as 
you know, being a nurse and I work with, um, I work in a long-term acute care facility. Mm. So I work with some of the sickest people in uh, my community. So we see a lot of um, suffering where I work and um, we see a lot of, a lot of death and, um, you know, yes, that certainly has affected me as a writer and I've written actually quite a bit about it. Not, not in this book, but, um, on Instagram, I have a few spoken pieces about that. And, um, you know, and I'm sure you understand this as somebody who's worked in healthcare, um, how much of a responsibility that is as, as a provider, as a nurse, as a, someone who, who works with the families that are going, that are going through these end of life, you know, um, situations. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely very powerful being with somebody at the end. And so, yeah, I've written a lot about that. I have a piece. Um, oh, what's it called? It's called, uh, care measures only. Oh yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Um, and that one was about a patient that a, a very special patient to me that I helped, um, right at end of life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, absolutely being a nurse dealing with those really hard, tough situations. Um, you know, writing for me, when I first started writing almost every day, I was going through, um, some mental health issues mm -hmm. and my uh, therapist actually said to me, you know, Jess, you've always been a writer, use your writing to, you know, ask therapy for you, write down what you're feeling, what you're thinking every single day. And, um, that just became my habit. So as I'm processing things, as I'm processing emotions, difficult situations, that is how I process them. That's how I come to terms. So, um, with my job, with a lot of the very difficult things in life, like death, um, I use my writing to help try to figure some of those very confusing things out. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I think what you're describing is the most human thing that anyone can do. Taking pain and turning it into art is a uniquely human ability. No other species on this planet has that ability. And uh, I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing that you're doing here. Um, well, let's just jump right into the book, if that's all right. Um, sure. What I would like to do, if you don't mind, would you mind uh, giving us a read of page four? want and wildfire and let's dig into this piece a little bit of course so um for the book i have two actually two pieces that are the the title of the book this is the first one destruction doesn't usually begin with an announcement wildfires do not wave their arms immediately in alarm the embers of decay start slow Drive leaves, unassuming catalysts, cigarette flicked and mostly stamped out on the cold ground. Or the way your fingers found mine. The slightest brush of skin can awaken when the chemistry is right. When the weather is just right. The tiniest ember will ignite. Thank you so much for that, Reed. Uh, by the way, folks, Phoenix Poetry 11 does some really, really good lives if you have a chance Make sure that you check those out. Uh, I always like to jump in there and listen to our reads. They're fantastic. Uh, Carla, I've been rambling. Let's let's get your take on this piece and uh, dig into it a little bit. Ooh, I mean, 
I love your, again, I love poetry with great imagery and great comparison. So the, the likening of those things to the spontaneous quote unquote disasters of nature that are, as you said, so destructive, but yet at the same time, what I also see in there is a sense of renewal. And I don't maybe that I don't know if that if any of that is purposeful or accidental because I I see that in a lot of your pieces and in a lot of your work. So you know, as I guess that would be the question: is that was that a happy accident or something intended when you do the writing? Yeah. So um, this piece, being the the title piece, um, you know, want and and wildfires. So the idea behind the piece is that our purpose, our desire, sometimes can, you know, following your desire, following your, your path can sometimes be very destructive, right? <laughs> it can sometimes um, lead us on a path that can, that can completely shake us up and change us, you know, tear down our whole entire world. Um, you know, after wildfire, the, the forest can regrow sometimes in a better way, right? Um, and, and my life in particular, in the last few years, I would say my whole entire world has burned down. My whole entire life uh, collapsed in the last couple of years. But wow, the renewal in my life now is amazing. My, my whole, the whole forest has regrown and it is beautiful. My life is so beautiful right now. But, but it all had to burn down. Um, and sometimes following that path of destruction, you know, going for what you know is the right thing, um, and what you know is your destiny, you know, it's going to result in, in this destruction, but, um, but it's still the right thing and it's still going to lead you on, on the ultimate, um, path of where you're supposed to be. That, that I mean, that's kind of what that's about. And it's funny the way that you describe the motivation behind that piece and sort of the path that it takes, the inspiration behind it. I'm instantly reminded of uh, The One Who Leaves, which is one of my favorite pieces in, in the book because it's very much of that same concept that in order for that force to grow back better, as you said, there has to be some destruction there. And um, it's definitely been an inspiring journey because I know that you have gone through your personal struggles and the result of that, again, falls back into that concept of taking pain or struggle and turning it into something that is beautiful. And Art, would you mind talking about uh, the one who leaves a little bit? And then I'm going, I'm going to read some of that. Sure. Um, you know, the one who leaves, I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to remember what page that's on. Let me look at my, um, I'll just talk about it. The one who leaves is... Um, 67, it's a by the way. 67. Thank you. <laughs> it's a, it's a very personal poem about, um, my divorce. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, uh, come from a very, uh, traditional religious, um, hateful, <laughs> um, unforgiving kind of background. And, um, uh, divorce is very much unforgivable and, um, the, the background that I'm coming from and, um, it was very difficult 
telling uh, people that I loved that, that, you know what, um, my marriage is not working. I am dying. I am dying in this marriage and I have to get out. And, um, you know, in the poem I said, uh, it means that you didn't turn your soul inside out or rip the skin from your bones and scrub and scrub and scrub. And I felt like I tried so hard. I tried so hard to make this work and uh, it didn't work. But, um, you know, that's what this poem's about was that I tried so hard to make a marriage work that um, it wasn't going to work. And um, for for a lot of um, religions, it doesn't matter. You, you stick it out. It doesn't matter that you feel like you're dying. You stick it out. And um, so this poem was about coming to terms with the fact that um, I, it wasn't going to be accepted by some people in my life and in my family. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay that it's not going to be accepted. Yeah, no, it's, I, I hate to use the word brave, <laughs> but I don't know what else to use. It's, it's an incredibly brave piece. And I, I know the situation that you're talking about. Uh, I myself was raised up in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I still consider myself a Christian, um, not a churchgoer so much anymore. And a big part of that is the massive hypocrisy that I would see in a congregation full of people that are okay with a husband or a wife abusing their spouse physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, but somehow that is less horrible than the breaking of a covenant. And I have a very hard time rectifying those two concepts because I don't believe that they're correct. Uh, I won't turn this into the shadow eraser theology hour, I promise folks. But um, I really did love the biblical imagery being used in this piece. And as someone who comes from that sort of faith background, it's something that I've seen time and time again, um, not on a personal level, but just within my circle of people, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason why it hit so hard. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, read the first part of this and uh, talk about it just a little bit more. This is the one who leaves page 67. When you are the one who leaves, be prepared. This isn't the Old Testament, but there will be stones and you will be reminded with a rock to your head that traditions die slowly. And it doesn't matter because when you're the one who leaves, it means that you didn't turn your soul inside out or rip the skin from your bones and scrub and scrub and scrub because you're the one who leaves. You're giving up and you'll watch your mother cry and your own father will call your soul black. Another thing that struck me about this particular piece is, and I think all good poetry is literal and subjective. And this is very much a autobiographical piece and it's very much about a singular topic, but the themes that you're exploring in that can also go hand in hand with an abusive relationship really of any sort. I myself have really struggled with what to do with my mother. Uh, this, the, the marriage aspect of this is not something that, that I can relate to, but the idea that I will be shunned and ridiculed if I choose 
to cut a person who's emotionally abusive out of my life sits very heavy with me. Um, and uh, that opening portion really, really hits hard. It's, it's a hell of a piece. Thank you. Absolutely. Carla, did you have a particular piece that you wanted to go over today? You know, I'm going to make that author's choice. Oh, okay. There we go. I'm going to make this one up. author's choice. We need we need sound effects. We need to work in sound effects like a little like a little uh, rave horn that we can push when we say author's choice, like bells and whistles. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I think that would be great. Let me see. Um... I tell you what, while you're searching, do you want me to read one more piece and then we can dig into this one while you look? Sure. I Yeah, that's fine. One that I have dog-eared and starred here in the book is page 55 called Broken. And you can tell I really liked it because I have the word like, yes, written next to one line. And this is it <laughs> next to next to several other ones. This is broken page 55. My missing pieces will not be found in dusty corners or a department store lost and found. Stop looking under my linens. Don't pull out the couch. I am incomplete, broken, and no, there are no replacement parts. Don't waste your time searching. Look instead unflinching at the empty spaces left behind. Don't try to be a hero. You will not fix me. And I do not have the time to explain how to hold my pieces together. Embrace me broken. Know me broken. Accept my broken. Choose to love every splintered shard. Mm. So I decided to go with a lighter one this time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> give us a little bit of background on how this piece came to be, um, and it, how, how did we get here? What caused you to write this? I, I think that, um, you know, when you come from a background of trauma, you know, especially as a woman, um, you know, meeting, meeting new men, having, you know, they want to fix you. You know, I'm going to save you, sweetie. I'm going to, I'm going to make it all better. And it, it's, no, you know, you're not. I, I'm, I'm a broken person and I'm always going to have um, struggles and I'm always going to have some post-traumatic stress and I'm always going to struggle with depression. You know, will I have ups and downs? Absolutely. I'll have ups and I'll have times where, where things will, will be better. But um, you have to love me the way I am. You have to love me for these experiences that I have had. You have to love me for, you have to accept that trauma that I've had. And, um, and you can't gloss over it. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to fix it. And if you can't handle the, um, the pain, if you don't, if, if it's too much, then, then I'm not for you, you know? I love what you say there, though, is you have to love me for the trauma, not in spite mm -hmm. of right. the trauma. There's a massive right. difference there. And mm -hmm. as someone, and, and Carla, I know you can relate to this as well, as someone who has trauma in their past, when, you, when you're 
in that relationship, there is inevitably that point where a lot of folks are like, I, I wish I could make you better. I wish I could make it better. And I, I've been lucky enough to have an amazing bride who just says, hey, I'm here for you. And she doesn't try to fix, you know, those pieces that are just inherently going to stay shattered. And she understands that, you know, the, the same exact thing. I do have my up days, my, my down days, but that's that's an amazing thing. And I really think that that happens when you manage to find someone who is also emotionally mature enough to understand that we're not puzzles. <laughs> you don't have to solve us. And that, right. that's an incredibly rare thing. Just to share, um, so I, I am actually, I'm getting married uh, this New Year's mm -hmm. um, to give a little, little up, a little up, um, you know, and uh, I, so I have found someone who accepts me, you know, and understands all of this. And um, when we first started dating, this was like required reading. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And uh, so something that I wrote um, when we were dating, it's very quick. He inspects all my broken pieces and sees constellations to be drawn. He finds fragments of stars awaiting names. So I love that's, it. Yeah, mm. Kind of as a follow-up to that one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, a, you know, finding someone that, uh, that knows the trauma, sees the trauma, and, uh, and you know, loves you loves you for exactly who you are. And on those days when the trauma is right there in your face, for whatever reason is, is there for you? Man, this piece echoes in me so much. I would written one not too long ago. It was just about my wife and I at a bar, a loud bar. I hate bars. I'd rather have a good glass of bourbon and sit at home in the quiet, but we were at a bar and, uh, I, I was going through it that day. Uh, my fight or flight doesn't do real well, especially when I'm in loud environments that I don't want to be in. Concerts are a different story. I do a little bit better there. And she could tell that I was really struggling with it. And in the poem, I, I say this line, you know, depression doesn't depend on how good I have it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a visitor that just shows up. Yeah. And, and it's not because she's done anything wrong. It's not even necessarily because life is hard at the moment. It just uh, comes a knocking every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, man, this, this piece hit me hard. Yeah. And having somebody that understands that, you know, and doesn't get bent out of shape because, well, what did I do wrong? Or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. It's huge. The other thing I wanted to mention too, and it's funny because like the, that tendency to want to fix. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's a cuts both ways. I think sometimes we want to try to heal others and fix others in the way that we couldn't be repaired before we realize that that's really our own inside job. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was just funny when you mentioned that I'm like, yeah. And I mean, yeah, people want to play the hero and that's all well and good, but. <laughs> Carla, that's spot on. And, you know, I hadn't really <laughs> thought about it until now, but. It's been my experience that people who who go through trauma, especially at a young age, are typically drawn to a career that involves teaching, protecting, or healing. One of those three <laughs> things. Uh, <Hi>. Protector, <laughs> teacher, healer. Um, it's, it's kind of funny how that works out. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so while you, while we were doing that one, I was thinking about poems in the book and I, I feel like I can't talk about this book without reading 23. Um, it's a very long poem, admittedly so, but it's, um, it's probably the most important poem I've ever written as far as healing for me. And, um, so much of my poetry is, uh, around this poem, um, you know, it, about, you know, about the situation that I was in, uh, this is about domestic violence, a domestic violence situation that I went through. And, um, so if it's okay with you guys, I could, I can do this one. It is a long one. That's okay. Go ahead. That's okay. All right. Um, so this one's called 23. The first time I saw you, my heart transformed from small green shoots to a sudden firework of bloom. I was young and cynical until you pulled me from that crowded room, and it was love instantaneously, no question in your unwavering stare. Soulmates sealed in a breathless heartbeat, and like the arcade game with metallic claw dropping in on a mess of stuffed animals, you plucked me out of my chaotic life and treasured me. And the first time you hit me, I was 23. We had woven ourselves together so tightly. You molded my frame like clay with wet fingers on the potter's wheel, a girl crafted perfectly for you. The shaping so subtle to start, your compliments that I didn't need any makeup turned to, wouldn't it be great if I went to the gym? And my friends weren't good to me. Didn't you fulfill my every need? And you slowly cut down my forest of protection and left me singularly a tree with shallow roots. And the first time we fought, I should have seen the neon signs. I should have heard your scream like a beckoning, begging me to get the fuck out. And when you threw a full glass of water at me, violence blooming like eyes opening, but I, so blinded by our chemistry, refused to see our lives woven together so intricately. And you cried with all apologies, and I simply changed my clothes and cleaned up glass. From there, things escalated fast. I tiptoed like a bird, not willing to disturb the pool, the fish beneath so easily aroused. I whispered around your every mood, a ghost in the shadows loving you. But your cerulean stare still sought out every opportunity to whittle me down like a tree becoming. And the first time you hit me, I was 23. Your fist to my face so unexpectedly, like a wave of icy water taking me out at the knees. How in the fuck could this happen to me from a man that I loved so completely? Of course, it didn't stop there. You loved to grab the back of my hair, shove my face into the carpet and cry, why did I make you such a bad guy? And it was my job to recover quickly and come comfort you. Our bodies meeting so hungrily like fire engulfing a shriveled up tree. Somehow the makeups fulfilled me. Your violence would flare. I would endure the attack and then slowly sink back to the light in your eyes. And the first time you hit me, 
I was 23, but at 24, I had run out of fingers to use, including the time you knocked down my front door. The first time I thought I had enough grit to leave. I pulled the chain and locked both bolts, all my love caught in the back of my throat, a strangling sob of skin being pulled from bone. And suddenly you were there banging around like a 10 pound weight in a dryer. With many blows, the door gave in like the first domino falling. I was crouched like a puddle on the ground and you loved me, picking me up like a little lost doll, reminding me that I couldn't leave. And you forced yourself upon me, violence and love like coffee and cream. You sipped me and bloomed. And the last time you hit me, I was 24. My friends came together and forced me to open my mind. They noticed my baggy clothes, blank face, swollen eyes, the no vacancy sign lit up in my life. And with heads together, they whispered to me about freedom, pulling my bones from the mausoleum. I was already in trouble for spending time with anyone but you. And there you were at the table boiling when I returned home, a full pot ready to explode. And when you lunched for me, I had my phone out of the holster with the safety off, 911 in the chamber, and I pulled the trigger and endured your wrath. And your eyes went dead when you heard the sirens cry. Letting go of my hair, you slipped on a casual stare, preparing to face fate. And the first time you hit me, I was 23. And at 24, I finally slammed that door. Now in my 30s, I still feel your trembling hands like spiders on my skin. I still feel your eyes on the back of my head. I can sense your love mixing inside of me like the churning of liquid concrete that fights to set, yet that I must never let dry. I love it. Thank you. Wow. That's profound. And that is powerful. I, I, I can relate to that so well. Luckily I have never been in a physically abusive and in, uh, intimate partner relationship, but I was raised in an abusive household. I was raised by a physically abusive parent. And, but it's funny though, that even though it's a different dynamic, that violence the the machinations of it how that thread stays common through all of those dynamics and just everything you talked about just really hit home that's a brilliant piece thank you so much for sharing that with us thank you um that one was i, I feel like it was so important for me to write if it was the only poem i ever wrote that i mean um i was writing for quite a long time before i I actually wrote that for a slam competition I was in and um, it, the, uh, the topic we had to write on was first. And um, I, I don't, uh, most people wrote about kind of funny first and that was, um, that's just, it, it came to me and, and I wrote about it and I feel like, you know, I wrote about it when I was, I think I was 30, 37 when I wrote that poem and it happened to me when I was 23. 22, 23, 24. And it was just such a huge weight 
was lifted once I actually kind of wrote the whole thing out and, and put it out there. And then once I performed it, you know, as many times as I have, it's, it is amazing how writing and poetry, it just, it, it takes, it's, you know, it's not gone. It's always there, but it's taken such a huge weight off of that situation that happened. Well, we appreciate you, Jess. I know that's not an easy read, but it is an important one. Uh, victories demand attention. And this certainly is a piece that, that calls attention to the reality of the situation. Uh, I had this one bookmarked in, in the book, and it dawned on me about halfway through the piece that all abusive relationships are micro cults. And what I mean by that is all of your cult leaders throughout history have a playbook that they follow. Mm -hmm. uh, and that playbook is isolation, stripping down identity, and using what should be affection as punishment. And your piece really captures all of that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's stunning, really. But uh, it's just incredibly impressive that you're able to capture that snapshot of how a sociopath works in a relationship. Because I don't know this person personally, obviously, but but I do see the telltale signs of sociopaths. Um, when when did it? I'm going to step away from the poem for a second and just talk to the author. When did it click with you in that relationship? when you realized that you were in a situation that was far worse than, than you had planned on, because there's always that turning point. Um, I think it was, there were probably two, two moments when I realized I was in way over my head. Um, the first one was when, you know, the first act of like true violence was, mm -hmm the throwing the glass of water, which I wrote about in the poem. Um, and I remember it was not just the throwing the glass of water because, you know, people screw up. We all do stupid things when we're, when we're angry. I, I think anybody's capable of not, not of physical violence, but, you know, throwing a glass of water, screwing up, you know, that's, it can happen. But afterwards, I, I was complimented on how well I handled the situation mm. that I just cleaned it up and didn't, didn't freak out that that's, I remember getting a chill when I got that. Yeah. That's compliment. incredibly insidious, uh, and planned intentional. Uh, I do want to say though, I'm so incredibly grateful that you were able to write the line. And the last time you hit me, I was 24 because there are a lot of people in that situation who never get to write in the last time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't get to talk about that. And yes. uh, it, like you said, that's not something that you ever get rid of completely. It permeates your DNA. It becomes a part of your, your personality, your, your thoughts, your every waking moment. It's just learning to cope with that and work through it. And, and, and I am curious for the situation, what steps did you take to sort of rehabilitate your mental health and sort of get you heading in a direction that 
that could be creative, that could publish a book, that you know could run a successful account, that that could have a wonderful future marriage. How did that happen for you? You know, it was it, it ought to be honest. It was probably a lot of burying for a lot of years. You know, to be completely honest, a lot of it was probably unhealthy. Um, just just letting it go, burying it. Um, you know, and and which resulted in depression and, um, you know, stifling a lot of the trauma. Um, and then once I did start dealing with it, waking up and then in my 30s, writing about it and dealing with it, um, waking up to the situation that happened and really owning that situation that happened. There was a lot of, and I think this is common for domestic violence situations, there was probably only a couple people that actually knew what happened. You know, um, I was very ashamed of, of what had happened. Um, and really, I think only my mom knew what had happened because she, she got me, she came and got me out of that situation. And, uh, so, you know, probably 10 years went by where I didn't even, didn't even admit to it. So, um, and I think that's, I think that's common with a lot of abuse I do survivors. Too. I do too. Yeah. Um, the first time I read this piece, I, I, I thought about a piece that I had written years and years and years and years after my abuse situation. Now, my monster was my father as listeners of this podcast and followers of my Instagram know, uh, by now. And I, I won't read this whole thing. I just want to show that the, the synchronicity of survivors never ceases to amaze me. Uh, this piece is called Stephen. And the very first line I wrote was, I remember the last day that I let him touch me. Mm -hmm. It was the first line I wrote on this piece. And I probably wrote it when, how, how old were you when you wrote this particular piece? 37. Yep. Yeah. Same age. Yeah. Same age. Um, mm. Recovery is not a fast track by any means. No, it, it is a slow, slow, slow boil. Uh, and it's, and it's, and it's circular, you know, it, it's, it doesn't you, and you think you're getting there and then you circle yeah. back and then it's, you know, it's not, it's not neat. It's messy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, you, you spend, half a lifetime getting broken down. You can't expect to rebuild that in a night uh, at, mm -hmm. at all. Whew. Sorry. I, I yeah. didn't mean to like dig like too deep. So I, I hope that was, that was okay. It's just, no, no, I, no, it's, I think, I think these things are so important to talk about, um, especially for, a, for a lot of women who are in domestic abuse situations. Um, it's so important to talk about because it's hard. It's hard to leave. It's hard. And, um, hearing other women that have gone through it gives, gives hope to that. You know what? Um, she got out of it. It, it took time and it took, you know, because honestly, and I don't think, I don't know if it's clear in the poem, but it, it took years. It took, mm -hmm. it took time. And, and it's very easy to be judgmental if you're not in that situation to why didn't she leave with that first 
time that he threw the glass, why didn't she leave? It's it's complicated. You love, you love the person. Yeah, exactly. Love can you know be a set of keys or a shackle, and it it, it just depends on who your partner is more often than not. I, I personally have a friend right now who is going through an incredibly abusive marriage. Uh, his spouse is telling him on a regular basis that she hates him and he's a horrible human being and that she's just going to go find someone else. And he's doing everything he can to try and stay with this person. And this has been going on for a year and a half now. And on the outside, yeah, it's so easy to say, man, why are you still doing this? But like love, man, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. it's so incredibly strong, uh, for better or for worse. Um, I did want to read another piece that I absolutely adore in your book, and this is Confessions on Falling. Confessions on Falling, page 44. And then we can dig into this one a little bit. I want to tell you, I don't fall freely. I am the palm that splits under the wind's will. While my sisters kneeled like so many saints, easily persuaded by deity. You need to know, I do not part like water, so easy to slip yourself inside. I am the caustic magma, with 1,000 eyes watching, meticulously moving like honey, towards patient kindling. I want to say that I'm not a sunflower, following your journey with wide-set eyes across the sky, petals parting to let in light, easily blinking closed in darkness. If you open me, I am the sun shining from a box that you cannot close. Pandora-like, except passion explodes from my lid jar. And yes, I am falling, not helplessly, not hopelessly, not with eyes half closed. I watch carefully as I fold, my vulnerability sacred. Every piece of me, a gift in disguise, every inch you carefully open is like hope personified. And I want to tell you, you need to know, I want to say, yes, I'm falling. (laughs) That's a more hopeful one. Yes. I adore that piece. Thank you. No, that is a beautiful piece. And it actually brought to mind something. And I, this is an adage that, I don't know, it sprung up somewhere on the internet. I've seen it in a few memes, but um, I think it holds really true, especially when we start to recover from trauma and um, whether it's from childhood, from, you know, a later relationship, whatever the case may be. But the saying goes, it's, I never want to fall madly in love again. I want to fall sanely in love, peacefully in love, healthily in love. Mm-hmm. And re- hearing that reminded me of that. It's like, I, you know, yeah, it's like, I think a, there's tons of people pulling their luggage behind them. You know, um, one of my Thanksgiving traditions, since we just celebrated the holiday is um, I usually cook. We had a small group. It was five of us, myself, my daughter, my parents, my uncle, who's leaving for the Midwest tomorrow. And they leave relatively early because they got like a 40 minute drive home. It gets dark early. So at the end of every night, like I clean up, I, I, you know, plate myself up a little bit of leftovers and I always watch, um, a Christmas Carol. And I love the version that Hallmark did with TNT, which has Patrick Stewart in it. And 
I always marveled at the way they depict Jacob Marley with like the chains and the fetter, you know, just being fettered by all this luggage and baggage from the things that were forged in life. And I get what they mean, like in the afterlife where, you know, these are all the things that I now, you know, the, the, the regrets that I carry, but coming from that other perspective, it's like, that's still like the baggage we drag around and we have to kind of, you know, unwrap that from ourselves like so imagine like I, I take the image of his ghost how it's just got you know crossed over chains wrapped all over the place with everything weighted down and it's like imagine getting out of that and that's I, when I hear that that's how it feels it's like you know sometimes it's a great process you know you make a lot of headway you get a lot of that unwrapped and unpacked but then some days it's like it's everything you can do just to get up and put a comb through your hair and a toothbrush in your mouth you know, and sometimes it's a lot of different things in between. So, but no, I, I absolutely love that piece and just what it, what it remind me, reminded me of. It's like that guarded optimism. It's like, look, <laughs> this is the deal. <laughs> so, you know, proceed with caution. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. It, it, um, you know, falling for somebody new. It's like, yes, I, this poem was like, yes, I really like you, you know, hang on, I promise I'm coming. I'm coming, you know, don't, don't lose hope. <laughs> um, with this piece, I don't know if it's obvious, each stanza is bolded. And then the last stanza has every bolded piece, um, you know, restated. But, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think for me, it was, I wish I could be that innocent girl for you. You know, I wish I could give you, I wish I could be that sunflower with those wide open eyes, just following you. Oh, you know, I, I wish I could, um, just open up for you so freely, but I'm sorry. That's not, that's not who I am, but I'm still falling, but you know, just give me time. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can relate to that. But even with me, it's like, I'm sorry. I, I'm not that rip roaring exciting, like not, ex not, not exciting. I, that, that would make me sound kind of boring. I don't want to put myself down that way, but, um, I guess the best way to put it is I broke my addiction to chaos some time ago. I value my peace. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I remember, you know, going back out after, you know, I mean, the divorce was amicable, but I was in a real, real difficult situation after that, which literally was just, like where there was a drip in the dam, it just burst and brought up all this stuff. And this was almost six years ago. So getting back out after that, it was, you know, it was really the same thing. And it's like, look, I was like, just, I, I want nothing more from you than just to please don't disturb my peace. It's the only thing I ask. Don't disturb my peace. I have worked too hard to create it. I love what I love you said that. about breaking your addiction to chaos. I'm, I'm reading this mm. piece, the first time I'm reading this piece, and I got to thinking, you know, kids want a relationship like the Joker and Harley, but like <laughs> truly mature people want a relationship like Peggy and uh, and Hank Hill. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> like if if you want to be mm -hmm. an emotional child about things, yeah, go after all that chaos, go after that that nonsense. But I love the fact that this is an intentional quote unquote love poem. 
It's it, like you said, it's not manic. You are intentionally deciding these things. And that, that shows a massive level of emotional maturity and depth, honestly. Uh, really, really cool piece there. Thank you. Absolutely. My goodness, this time has flown by. I know. Jess, it's do you have any other going. pieces that you wanted to chat about? Hmm. Well, let's see. Um, one thing I did with the book that, um, my, so one of my favorite writers is Hanif Abdurraqib. Um, he, he's an amazing poet. And one thing he does with, um, one of his books is he has the same title poem, um, many different versions of it all throughout the book. And so I did that in this book with there is more to life than love. So I, I'm one, I can't remember how many times I put it in here, but maybe six. Yeah. So there's, um, there is more to life than love. I think I wrote six different versions of that poem. So, you know, if, if I was to give this book a theme, I would say that that's my theme for this book <laughs> is that there is more to life than love. Um, however, I think that it's me trying to convince myself that that's how I feel sure. when, um, in actuality, I'm a hopeless romantic that love is everything to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Jess, I, I was, I, I keyed in on that particular title because you guys know me. I am a puppy love head over heels idiot. When it comes to my wife, we've been married for 20 years now. So I saw those titles and internally I was just like, ah. <laughs> it was like, but then I started reading the pieces and, and it's funny that you said that because I kind of got the same exact vibe. Uh, mm -hmm. there is certainly more to life than difficult love, but I mm -hmm. think that true peaceful love is, is something that we could all deeply hope for because I, I know it saved me, but it's, it's so cool. Like seeing that journey through those pieces. And I'm really glad that you made that point. Yeah. So I, so, you know, I, the pieces came from an idea that I had, you know, in my frustration with relationships where I was just like, if I would have done anything else with my time, trying to make these hopeless relationships work, I, I could have cured cancer. I could have, uh, you know, there's actually one that I didn't put in the book. Um, because my friend told me it was dumb and it is dumb. But um, hold on, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> it's here on my uh, more to life. Give me one second. But, you know, it's like I could have cured cancer. I could have, you know, had a rocket to the moon. There it is. Here it is. I could have cured cancer solved world hunger, built a rocket ship with kitchen utensils, with the billions of brain cells, with the millions of minutes wasted on these men. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of the idea. I love it. My friend said, don't put that one in the book, Jess. And I didn't. <laughs> I love it. I, I hope it goes in the next one because that's one that uh, I feel like a lot of people can relate to. Now, uh, as we're wrapping up our very fast hour here, Let's talk about suburbia, Jess. I came across <laughs> uh, my town after mm -hmm. Buddy Wakefield 
on page 10. And I love this piece so much. Can you read this for <laughs> us? And, and let's Absolutely. chat a little bit about it. This is a pretty snarky piece. Okay. This is called My Town. This is about where I grew up. My town is the 50th piece of paper spit from the copier. Suburban, uninspired, white paper replica on thin stationery with iridescent ideals. Crisp, legible font, conservative lines. There is no room for color or italics in my town. And the residents stick around, patching potholes, making a firmer foundation of flimsy constructed lies. Wide smiles and waves from the Mercedes purchased with two loans, parked outside the house with five more bedrooms than mouths, and no one leaves because in my town, it's easy to stay deceived and rest in $50,000 of debt with injected lips and adjusted curves. My town is a copy of a copy of a copy from a machine that doesn't care about the price of ink or the art presented on the page. <laughs> Thank Love you. It. Thank you. Um, yeah, I grew up in a a town in a suburb of Tampa. And um it's uh yeah, it's pretentious and um not a lot of uh not a lot of acceptance. I'll tell you why I love this piece. I grew up in a town that was roughly two miles long and there was no good part of town. Uh, my, my hometown of Muldrow, Kentucky was kind of known as just like the whole city was just run down and there was a literal landfill at the end of town that you could walk to. And that's where I would go walk around when I was younger. And there were lots of trips to the local uh, food bank, they would call it, or the food closet at, at the churches. And it, it certainly wasn't abject poverty, but I was never really comfortable. I'll, I'll say that much. And I remember being young and longing to live in a place like this. And <laughs> that bias of mine kind of colored my opinion of people from those areas. And, and I became bitter about it at a young age. Thankfully I grew out of it and became a fully thinking adult, but I love this piece because it, it, it mirrors my experience growing up in a different environment. But I came to the realization that, that all of our hometowns are just a different sort of cage for everyone growing up in them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this piece does a really, really good job of showing just how ridiculous it is to watch all these grownups, playing, you know, doing make-believe like they have it all together. No mm -hmm. one has it all together. And no. if they say they have it all together, they're a damn liar. Uh, yeah, I, I just absolutely adore this piece so much. Uh, Thank you. You, you. you write a lot of these when you were younger, or was this something that, that you were able to kind of find the words for as you got older? You know, that's a, that's a more recent piece. Um, I actually wrote it for a prompt uh, – I was part of a writing circle and um, we were supposed to write a poem after the Buddy Wakefield poem. And so that's actually where that came from. And I just liked it because it, you know, I had some, some uh, jabs to do at my, the town I grew up in. <laughs> so. Absolutely love it, man. 
Uh, yeah, I grew up in a little urban town, Trenton, New Jersey, which is the the state's capital, and uh, that's about all that can be said for it. Um, although we've <laughs> there's there's some up and coming places, but the neighborhood I grew up in, I think there were more bars per capita than anything else. I think if you counted like a ten block radius from my house, I think there were seven or eight bars. Mm. In the area. I'm like, do we, like, this is how much we drink, really? <laughs> I oh, mean, they gosh. were all full every night of the week, you know? And, and these weren't nice places. These were, like, holes in the wall shot and beer joints. And it's just, and yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, from Adam's story of, like, the two-mile-long, you know, very small rural town to, you know, where I grew up, which was, very much, I guess you could say, you know, not urban in the sense of like New York City urban, but it was definitely more city, but still, you know, and then the suburbs, it's like, it sucks mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks everywhere. We are all broken. Reasons. We are all broken people. It it reminds me, I have another poem in here called Five Bedrooms, Four Baths. That's, you know, about that, yeah. that housewife that has everything, everything she wants and is still, you know. Very unhappy. Yep. Yep. So. Jess, let's round it out with advice on loving a poet. Read this, <laughs> yes. read this piece real quick on page 59, and okay. uh, you can leave us with some words of wisdom. On loving right. a poet. Congratulations. I'm in love with you. And you will live eternally in beautiful lines of looping script in the ache of my poetry. But I have to warn you, I'm in love with you. So you see that if you break my heart, I'll burn you at the stake. I'll nail you to the cross in maelstroms of metaphors and swirling storm similes, still living eternally in my lines. But you'll kill and be killed a million times. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say I didn't warn them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what they put on the side of cigarette packs these days, you know, Surgeon General's warning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's actually my most popular Instagram poem ever. <laughs> yeah, but. I absolutely adore that piece. Um, Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, that's not one that really needs a whole lot of dissection. I think it's pretty... Uh, mm -hmm pretty on the nose. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, was this inspired by a specific person or just a, gen a general warning? You know, at the time it was inspired, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it is so, I don't know if this is true for every writer and I, I actually don't think it's true for every writer, but for me, my writing is very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I, if I, if I'm writing something, it's, it's true it, because I, I think because of my therapist telling me to, to write it out. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, my, my fiance now, he knows, <laughs> um, that, that there's poetry is going to be written about him and, you know, it's going to be good. And if we have a fight, it's going to be bad. And I'm so sorry in advance. <laughs> uh, just, uh, you should, you should 
read it at the reception. Um, Jess, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, before we Thank go, you guys. yeah, absolutely. Before we go, let the folks know who you are, where they can find you, and uh, tell us where they can purchase this wonderful book, Want to End Wildfire. Um, I'm Jess Klein. I'm at Phoenix Poetry 11 on Instagram. You can get Want and Wildfire on Amazon. And I also have it on Etsy. If you buy it on Etsy, I'll send you a full package with extras in it. So um, check it out. I'd love to meet you guys. And thank you guys for having me on. This was so fun. Absolutely. It's been our pleasure. Guys, thanks for joining us for today's episode of Shadow Razor Poetry Hour. Uh, you can find us on all of your major streaming platforms for podcasts. And we're looking forward to hanging out with you again. You guys take care.